time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, March 19th, 2021. The day has finally arrived, guys. I know a lot of real Hondo Prep football fans out there have waited for this day a long time. It was supposed to happen in August, then it was supposed to happen uh, sometime in the fall. It's the middle of March, but you know what? It's finally here. Real Hondo Prep against Pasadena Poly. And not only that, the game will be played in the Rose Bowl. The granddaddy of them all, the Royal Seiko in Pasadena, California. What better way to start Friday, start the weekend, get it off started right than with the great matchup, Rio Hondo Prep against Pasadena Poly High School football in March. Uh, add to March Madness, if you will that we are going to be experiencing here with uh, the first NCAA tournament in men's basketball in two years. There's a lot going on there. Uh, Already got that started on Thursday with the first four, and now 16 games slated for Friday and 16 more on Saturday. Uh, What a weekend this is going to be. But for a lot of the real Hondo Prep listeners out there, you guys know how important today is, and thank God it is finally here. Uh, Big news As far as the podcast goes, you guys can obviously watch that game today at 3 o'clock at rhprep.org. We'll we'll be sure to share all the links we can. Um, But one thing that's also going to happen first for this podcast is I'm going to take a few microphones with me to the Rose Bowl. That's the plan, at least for now, and uh, probably do some interviews uh, along the way. So um, I I don't know if I'm an official member of the media, but... Uh, my plan is to interview Mark Carson after the game, maybe a few players, uh, and also just kind of give my thoughts uh, as I am there at the Rose Bowl. So uh, that's the plan for now. I'm not sure how everything's going to work out technology-wise or whatever, but uh, be sure to join us on Monday as we will have a recap of that big football game that is occurring uh, at the Rose Bowl. And we will have plenty of content to share with you. My goal is to do a another interview with Mark Carson, and if not, um, the head football coach of Real Hondo Prep. If not, then um, then then we will uh, do our best to put together some of the interviews from uh, after the game. Maybe some tough questions from from me uh, to my good friend Mark Carson. But uh, the the road, what's the saying? The, the show's going on the road. And uh, looking very much forward to it. It's uh, it's a great day for Real Hondo Prep and Pasadena Poly. Poly leads the all-time series twenty-three to twenty-two. So uh, you know Rio's looking to tie that all-time series. And, and what better way for these two schools to square off than to be in the Rose Bowl? I really hope they can do this again, and, and maybe every other year or something. I don't know, but I think it's it's really cool. I know Pasadena and Muir have played each other in the Rose Bowl. Uh, every year for a long time that in the Turkey tussle uh, Pasadena is playing, I believe it's Burbank 
uh, after the Real Hondo Prep Poly game at seven o'clock. So it's a high school doubleheader. I think they'll both be um, broadcast on the 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 link that I will share. But a great day for high school football here in uh, in Southern California. Uh, even though it's March, it's very very, very weird. Uh, we have a great guest today. We're gonna be you're gonna be hearing a lot about football today. You're gonna hear from. Head football coach Deshaun Burns from Linfield Christian in Temecula, California. Uh, coach Burns has a ton of experience. He played football at USC. He coached in college. He even coached at the co- at the NFL level. And uh, he'll, he'll tell plenty of stories about his journey there. He actually coached uh, Landon Goodwell, a Rio Hondo prep alum, a, a former teammate of mine. Uh, Landon was a sophomore when I was a senior, so some good times with Landon on the football field. He played uh, varsity at Rio as a freshman up in the playoffs, and uh, was an amazing player, great impact. He and I uh, played uh, inside linebacker positions, and and that was a lot of fun. He got a lot of, uh, we'll say, uh, double teams and a lot of uh, attention, and so I I managed to, to get a few tackles here and there. He let me have a few. Uh, but Landon, unbelievable player. I miss playing football with him. He went on to play football at UTEP, and that is where his path crossed with Coach Burns. So that's how this all got set up. Landon reached out to me and said, hey, I got a great guest for you. Uh, Coach Burns would would be great. Hear a lot of stories from him. And uh, anyway, uh, we put that together, and it was a really fun interview and uh, about 90 minutes long, and I, I am looking forward to you guys hearing this. It's a great way to get the show going, get the show going here on a Friday, a football Friday, if you will. And uh, man, I hope you guys, this fires you guys up for the real Hondo game. And then um, you know what? Maybe Monday you'll hear all the recaps from, from that great stuff. But coach Burns today, a lot of fun, great guy, really fun talking to him and just uh, hearing about his journey. Uh, a couple things before we get to the interview, uh, you know, March Madness is here, the the first round. I know the first four was played on Thursday. Um, I'm actually recording this on Thursday, so uh, I'm looking ahead here to the, the games on Friday, and I'm going to make a few predictions here. Nothing, uh, I'm not going to go round by round. I'm just going to look at the games Friday and Saturday, uh, starting in the West. Uh, let's see, Gonzaga, no matter who they play, whether it's uh, Norfolk or App State, I think they win. Oklahoma over uh, Missouri. I'm going to go with the eight seed Sooners. Creighton and UC Santa Barbara. This is my first upset. I'm going with the Gauchos from uh, Santa Barbara, representing the Big West Conference. Again, they have a really uh, good player, McLaughlin. Keep your eye on him. Uh, I think he's going to go off in this game. Virginia against Ohio. Mm, Tough call here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Virginia pulls it out. They avoid the upset. USC in the West will either play Wichita State or Drake, I believe. Uh, either way, I think the Trojans will advance and uh, get a tournament win here as a six seed. Kansas against Eastern Washington. This is my huge upset of the first round. A 14 seed Eastern Washington over Kansas. Uh, I got no rhyme or reason, no nothing that uh, really – these are just gut feelings. These are just gut uh, picks here. I'm not putting any stats into it or anything like that, just uh, just a little pick there. So anyway, Oregon against VCU, I got the Ducks winning. Iowa against Grand Canyon. I want to pick Grand Canyon here, but I'm not going to do it. I think uh, uh, Iowa has has an amazing player. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, I should know this. Uh, he, he's, a he's one of their best players. Um, 
uh, oh there, Luke Garza. Hello. How could I forget that? Luke Garza, uh, one of the best players in college basketball. I think he carries Iowa to a victory there. But I think the Antelopes, the Antelopes of Grand Canyon put up a put up a fight. Uh, number one seed Michigan in the Midwest. Is it Midwest? I think it's Midwest. Um, oh, the East, excuse me. It doesn't really matter with the regional stuff this year because everyone is playing in Indianapolis. So it kind of threw me off a little bit. But anyway, the Wolverines, I think they they beat whoever they play, whether it's Mount St. Mary's or Texas Southern. I got that game on right now, actually, as I'm watching the, the first four here. Pretty cool having basketball in the middle of the day. Okay, running through it, uh, it more we go. LSU and St. Bonaventure, I'm going to go with LSU. Uh, the Tigers uh, have a little postseason success, unlike their football team this year. But, hey, they won the national title last year, so uh, we won't hold it against them. Colorado and Georgetown. Colorado lost the championship game of the Pac-12 tournament to Oregon State, but I am going to go with the Buffaloes here. I think Georgetown is a little overrated. It's kind of weird seeing them as a number two, as a number twelve seed, but hey, it is what it is. I uh, got the Buffaloes winning. Florida State over UNC Greensboro. I no rhyme or reason. I'm just going to say uh, Florida State wins that. Okay, BYU will either play Michigan State or UCLA. Those two teams play later tonight and. BYU will play the winner of that game. I'm going to go with a double upset here. I'm going UCLA to beat Michigan State and then beat the BYU Cougars. UCLA with uh, probably only two two wins uh, on the weekend. I think they lose probably in the game after that. But, hey, that's uh, my prediction. Texas over Abilene Christian, a three seed over a 14. I'm going to go with the Longhorns. UConn against Maryland. Tough pick here. I'm going to go with the Terrapins, the, the Turtles from Maryland. Uh, to to beat uh, the Huskies, Alabama and Iona. Uh, man, Alabama won the SEC championship. They looked really good. Iona, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I go with a big upset here, but I'm going to go with Alabama. Crimson Tide, they pull it out. And that will take us to the South bracket. Baylor over Hartford. I did like what I saw from Hartford, but I don't think they have enough to be the second team to take down a number one as a 16. So I'm going to go with Baylor. North Carolina and Wisconsin. I, I like Wisconsin's style of play. They've always been a physical team. Um, I'm going to go with them for really just for that kind of on their history. North Carolina is an amazing program, but I got Wisconsin winning as a ninth seed. Villanova against Winthrop. Uh, let's go with Winthrop. I got Winthrop winning. Winthrop. Winthrop's going to beat Villanova. Another 12 seed beats a five. Those are always really good matchups. Purdue, I got them beating North Texas, Utah State, and Texas Tech. I'm going to go with the Aggies from Utah State. A little West Coast bias over those Texas Tech Red Raiders. Utah State takes down the Red Raiders. Arkansas as a three seed will beat the toothbrush toothpaste school. Colgate as a three seed. So Arkansas advances. Florida over Virginia Tech. I like the Gators to win that game. Ohio State and Oral Roberts. Here it is, guys. The biggest upset of the tournament. Oral Roberts will beat Ohio State, taking down the Buckeyes. A 15 beats a two. Yes, you heard it here first or whenever you're listening to the podcast. Hopefully you hear this before that game goes off. But we're releasing this podcast Friday morning before all these games. So hopefully the prediction uh, comes true. Drexel, I love their their nickname. I think the Drexel Dragons, but they're a 16 seed going up against number one Illinois. I gotta go with the Fighting Illini here. Illinois wins and advances. That brings us to Loyola Chicago and Georgia Tech, an eight nine matchup. You remember Loyola Chicago had a great run to the Final Four a couple years ago. I think that magic comes back. I think got Loyola Chicago taking down the Yellow Jackets. 
Tennessee and Oregon State, another 12-5 matchup. I think Oregon State stays hot. I think they take down a very talented Tennessee volunteer basketball team. I got the Beavers from Oregon State advancing and winning another game. They're not supposed to win. So I got them advancing. Oklahoma State over Liberty. I'm going to go with the Cowboys from Oklahoma State taking down Liberty, although I think Liberty puts up a fight. San Diego State against Syracuse. I got the Aztecs from San Diego State. How can you pick against them in the first round? One of the best consistent college basketball teams here in California the past few years. Always very talented, and I think uh, they might put together a few wins here in the NCAA tournament. West Virginia Mountaineers against Moorhead State. I don't know how I could pick against West Virginia in honor of my former basketball coach, Ken Drain, Mr. Mr. Uh, West Virginia. Uh, Got to go with the Mountaineers there, but Moorhead State, they they always uh, are fun to watch and, and really do play very competitive basketball. That brings us to the final two picks, Clemson and Rutgers. I'm going with the Tigers from Clemson. I think they take down the Scarlet Knights as a 7-10 matchup. And the last pick, Houston and Cleveland State. One of my good friends and fellow officials, uh, Luther Wilson, actually went to Cleveland State. So in honor of him, I am taking another huge upset. Yes, two 15 seeds are going to win this year's tournament. It's a weird year, COVID and the protocols and the lockdown. I think we're going to see some drama here in the tournament. So I got Cleveland State, the Vikings, taking down the Houston Cougars to uh, round out the entire uh, first round of action Friday and Saturday. Those are just my picks, my projections. Don't hold them against me. March Madness is crazy. Almost no one picks an accurate bracket and those are just a few of mine that i am going to throw out there and uh we'll see what happens okay before we get to coach burns one final thing i received uh from a non-sports fan really i received this meme or whatever you want to call it and uh i won't say their name but they 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 sent this to me and and i thought it was funny and and i had kind of of a rebuttal to it but anyway here was the The quote, imagine every time there was a season finale of a TV series, every bar in town was showing it. Everyone was talking about it. Your boss let you go home earlier to watch it. And while seeing it, people would lie in each other's arms sobbing about the feels. Now explain to me why that's immature and unrealistic, but it's totally normal for football. You did the thing. Finally, someone did the thing. Thank you for doing the thing. Basically, mocking sports fans, especially specifically football fans. Well, here's my rebuttal. And you guys have listened to this podcast long enough. You know how important sports are to me. And when we had that dark period of time where there was no sports, sports was postponed, in some cases canceled. And the damage that did to so many student athletes, to so many uh, fans that live and die this stuff. Uh, you know, sports is something we enjoy watching because it's not a television show. It's real life. Some of the best television shows I, I've watched, I, I go back and I rewatch them because I love some of the themes and the crazy endings and all this and that. But you know what? That's all acting. Maybe some things were based on a true story. Sports is live entertainment. It's unpredictable. Like I just made my picks, 
there's no rhyme or reason to that. And I, I can't, nobody knows what's going to happen. You can think you know what's going to happen, but you never know. There might be a bad call. There might be an injury. There could be someone who just can't miss that day. There's drama in sports, real life drama. And for most of us, it's, it's an escape. We escape into television shows or movies for storylines and to, to, to kind of live vicariously through a fake world. But in sports, there's nothing fake about it. For those of us who played sports and now don't get to anymore, we look back on those days as playing and how real it was and the emotions we went through, the pain, the suffering, the tears of joy, and the tears of defeat. Sports brings out every single emotion in our body. Physical pain, mental pain, mental pain. Being disappointed, being overjoyed because you were successful or trying your very best and failing. Sometimes getting lucky, sometimes getting beaten by someone better than you. Sports are un unpredictable. It involves decision-making. It shows underdogs beating someone better than them. The more talented team doesn't always win. There's strategy involved. There's long hours put in. Physically a grind. Preparing. And most importantly, there's more lessons learned in sports than any other facet of life. I learned a great deal in the, in the classroom. But it didn't compare to the lessons I learned on the athletic field, whether it be as a player, as a coach, or as an official. And as a fan, anytime we can root for a sport or a team, you know what it does? It, it, it unites us. Sports ultimately unites us. And sometimes it unites us through hatred. I hate your team. You hate my team. Maybe it's a rivalry, but you're still united. Some people take it too far, but mostly it's, a, it's an opportunity to let out some of our emotions. You know, we enjoy watching our rival lose. So there's that side of it too, but it's all fun in games. It's real life. I used to hate the thing. Oh, it's not important who wins or loses. Just, just as long as you have fun. That's great for very young kids. But as you move, as you move up the ranks, it does get important. So sports is not a television show. Sports is real life drama. It's unscripted. It plays with every emotion in our body. I sit here today as a 36-year-old man, and I'm in, I am thoroughly excited about being able to watch my high school alma mater play a football game in the Rose Bowl. I'm, I'm, I am incredibly excited. And the other thing, with, with television shows... Um, yeah, it would be weird if it was on every, you know, a sports bar or 
and uh, I don't know, people were crying and celebrating and all the things we see in sports because sports is the best television show out there. And there's a big variety of it. There's football, there's golf, there's basketball, there's fighting, there's racing, there's tennis, whatever floats your boat. Competition is good for all of us. And yes, when you cheer for a team, they may never love you back. But you know what? Sports unites us. You high five strangers that you have no idea what their background is, but they got the same color hat on as you. You're one of me. I'm one of you. Sports unites us. And some of my closest friends out there are rivals of other teams or root for other teams. And I give them grief for it. They give me grief for it. It's fun. You can't get that from a television show. So yes, if someone is not interested in sports, I get it. It's not for everyone. But for a lot of people, including me, I love subscribing to the world of sports and seeing whatever it can bring me on a daily basis. Sometimes I laugh, sometimes I cry, sometimes I cheer at the top of my lungs. And I love that about it. And I will always love that about it. All right, let's get to our guest today. I hope you guys are ready for some football. I know I am. Uh, Coach Burns was a real treat to talk to, and I'm very much looking forward to you guys hearing this today. So I will finally step aside after 20 minutes of rambling away, and we will get to our interview with head football coach from Linfield Christian, Coach Deshaun Burns. Okay, joining me today is the head football coach of Linfield Christian High School down in Temecula, California. His name is Deshaun Burns. He is also the former coach of one of our avid listeners, Landon Goodwell, former Rio Hondo prep football player. So we have a lot of things to chat about today, about uh, Coach Burns's uh, coaching journey and all of his stops along the way. And, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about what it was like coaching Landon Goodwell. But let's welcome him to the show, Coach Burns. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor and I'm blessed to be here. So I appreciate it. This is an awesome show. Oh, I, I thank you so much. You know, it's it's been a, a privilege running the program. And Landon reached out to me and said, hey, I got a guy that uh, I think would be a great interview, uh, one of my former coaches. And I thought, okay, cool. And I, and I shot you a text message and an email. And, and here we are. So a big thank you to Landon Goodwell for uh, connecting us. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Goody Mob. That's what we used to call him. Oh, Goody Mob. So <laughs> he, he reached out to me actually and told me about it and was professional and just, uh, I was honored, you know, to even be thought of. So uh, thanks to him. Thanks, Goody. Um, uh, just uh, pleased and honored. And, and he's always been a stand up guy. So, you know, I do it for him. Oh, well, we don't have to be nice to land in this entire show. We can talk, you know, you coach the guy, so you're used to, you know, getting after him a little bit. So uh, we'll, we'll do that, I'm sure, at some point here in the program. Uh, but, uh, you know, Coach Burns, uh, I mentioned that, or, 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 you know, you mentioned the, the show here, and we've had a lot of Rio Hondo Prep uh, listeners and a lot of people who've come on here have gone to Rio Hondo Prep. We talk a lot of Rio Hondo Prep football, so it's kind of, it's going to be fun for me to talk to someone 
who's not affiliated and, and is also coaching another small private school here in Southern California. So how long have you been at Linfield Christian? So I've been there, this will be 10 years coming up. I came in 2000, coach and defensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator. And then it morphed into being, being a head coach in 2013. So 10 as a coach, teacher, and then um, shoot eight as the head man. Awesome. Very cool stuff. And, um, you know, lifelong Southern Californian, have you, were you born and raised out here? Born and raised in Riverside, California, went to Rubidoux High School, um, played there under Coach uh, Leo Brohard and Lane Cochran, and then went on to USC and played my football there at USC. So I'm a SoCal guy. Very cool. And who was, uh, who were, who was your coach at USC? Larry Smith, Coach Smith. Rest in peace, Coach. He was our, he was our guy. We were, his first, we were his first recruiting class, so. Myself, Todd Mernovich, Major Royster, Stefan Pace, Kurt Barber. So I was that class, class 88. So, Oh, wow. Wow, good stuff. And, and uh, man, okay, so we got to talk about some USC football here. Uh, also, I mean, uh, what, what is your take on the current status of the USC football program? Since we didn't rehearse this, but, hey, I mean, since you're talking about it, USC is a proud tradition. I mean, what are your thoughts as an alum of how the program is these days? Well, I think that um, I think we gotta we gotta keep the main thing the main thing, and I'm not there, so I'm not on the staff, and I don't know what you know what takes place and what's going on. I you know have a good idea, obviously, been in the profession and get it, but I think that it's it's getting back to the basics and keeping the main thing, and I don't think anybody coaches or, or recruits to lose their job or, or uh, you know does some things intentionally to not do well, so. Um, I think that they're doing what they need to get done there, you know, Coach Hutton and his staff. Um, in this day and age, the athlete is very different in the sense of the what's important to them. Um, that hasn't been our way. You know, the guys I grew up and played with, from the Rodney Peets and the Junior Sales and the Tim Ryans and Mark Carriers and stuff like that, and then the guys we're playing against, which is the Jeff Georges and the Troikmans and the Rockets and all that. Um, at the end of the day, it's about knuckling up, right, and, and, and checking the measurement of your heart and what's pumping in your veins. And I think that uh, I think it's it's a twofold. I think that recruiting, we need to get the guys that want to play, that seriously love the game of football and love playing. And then the guys that are being recruited got to understand what this looks like. It's not just a happy-go-lucky, um, instant gratification Instagram society where the likes promote you and, and how popular you are on the internet means you're a good ball player. That doesn't equivalent. Um, I think we got to do some soul searching and, and, and dig in and, and, and decide what we want to do because it is a proud tradition, you know, um, we just got to play, play the way it is. I think it's a universal thing as well. Oh. I don't think it's just, you know, right. I don't think it's just, just isolate the FC. I think across the nation, uh, you know, there's different focuses. A lot of kids, a lot of people have a lot of people in their camp telling them a lot of things and it doesn't match the main thing, right? It doesn't match what's the, what's the, uh, the base root or the base foundation of, of why programs exist. Oh, that's, that is so well said. I'm, coach, I'm ready to put a helmet on for you right now. Let me tell you, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of distractions these days. Um, it seems like people 
instead of the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. It seems like we're, we're waving, you know, there's just so many things going on, uh, especially with young kids these days. And, uh, you know, we'll get in, we'll get into all this uh, as far as kind of what your challenges are as a coach. You kind of touched on a few there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I personally would like to see USC uh, be a little better, and, and hopefully soon they will be, especially for the alumni out there. Uh, well, Coach, let me ask you, where uh, you talked about where you grew up, uh, your playing experiences. Um, was football the only sport you played growing up, or were you a multi-sport guy? Multi-sport guy. Um, so I played – growing up, I played football and baseball. And then my eighth grade year, I ran a little track. And I played some basketball, you know, on the youth youth level. In the high school, I did football, baseball, basketball, track, and then I, I went out for the wrestling team because I wanted to, I want I want the letter in wrestling. I kind of want to be like one of three guys that ever were a five sport letterman in the history of the school. So I, my senior year, after I um, right before I was going to commit, I went out for the wrestling team and was going to try to letter in wrestling. And so, you know, get that on the docket. Um, but USC had different plans. Wrestling team wanted me to wrestle in a different weight class. And, and then I was, my scholarship was in the air if I gained weight. So I, I made the executive decision, right? Business decision. I'll, I'll go ahead and backpedal and, and, and defend guys on the basketball court and then lift in the offseason, get ready for track and baseball. So um, I didn't end up lettering the wrestling. I worked for the team for a little bit, but I came <laughs> on back when I was older. I could lose my scholarship if I gain weight. So, <laughs> well, wait a minute. How did you get a football scholarship when you're playing multiple sports? Because kids these days, you know, you're supposed to play only one sport year round. I mean, how are you able to do that? Or is that you know? Uh, talk to me about the playing multiple. Don't you want your players to be guys that played multiple sports over the years as a kid? I I pull for I push our guys to do multiple sports. When I coached it, I was blessed to coach at Beverly Hills High School. Early on, I was there. Our guys did multiple sports. Um, I also um, coached at Bishop Vermont High School. Mm. And when I was at Bishop Vermont, we had guys that ran track, played baseball, played basketball. So I coached football. Then I was a basketball coach, freshman baseball coach, and then ended up becoming the head track coach. And so it was kind of a prerequisite for our guys that they had to play sports. So my DBs. My DBs played basketball, and then they ran track and played baseball. Yeah. So, that, you know, and it only helps. People don't understand. Schools want multi-sport athletes. If you look at college rosters, NFL rosters, guys that do multiple sports are more likely to get recruited and picked up because it's enhancing their athleticism, right? Um, if I play baseball and I'm a shortstop, it means I have good hand-eye coordination, good feet, I'm quick. Right. I'm pretty tough because that's a hot seat. So I'm not afraid of taking shots, you know, off the bag. Um, pretty versatile. I can change direction pretty well. Right. If I'm a center fielder, I have range. So it equivalents to a good safety, good DB. I can get a jump on the ball. I can track ball. My depth perception is good. If I'm a basketball guy. I'm a low post. I'm a tough guy. Um, if I'm a wrestler, a shot putter, a hurdler, all those things equivalate. Right, they they transfer over to the next sport. So, shoot, that was that's one of the first questions that you're asked. You know, when the coaches come in, haven't been a college coach myself. I want to know because a kid play another sport. That that helps. It enhances. 
Oh, absolutely. It's so refreshing to hear because you see so much of the specialized uh, year round stuff now. And it's like, no, you, you need the broad range. Uh, maybe you're not as good in another sport also. So, you, you you know, there's a little bit of failure there. How do you deal with that? I equate it to this. In, in high school, you have many subjects. You got math, you got English, you got science. You don't just take one. You go to college and you might specialize in one, but you still have other subjects. So, uh, to me, that's that's what sums it up there. You, I, it's refreshing to hear, Coach Birds. Yeah, absolutely, great stuff. And are, are players and, and parents surprised when you tell them that we like multi-sport guys? No, well, I mean, I think some are because you know, once again, the mainstream says you got to be doing this twenty-four-seven. Yeah, that's a farce. Mm. That, that, that's not true. Um, reality is, if I want the best. Oh, lineman, I'm in Alabama. I'm at a school with a nice budget. I can go anywhere I want to go get like that headhunter, right? That mediator, right? That that guy, that gorilla. You know, I can go get him. Um, I was at UTEP coaching, and we were blessed to go to uh, Germany. We did a football, we did a clinic in Germany, a, a digital, you know, um, analyzing uh, system, you know, exos huddle type uh, situation, you know, just a game breakdown film evaluation. We did a clinic over there in Dusseldorf. We spent four days. And let me tell you, I'm the D-line coach, and there are guys walking around 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", 6'6", 6'7". They get after it. And I had a chance to get my eyes on some of these guys. And all they do is put their hand on the dirt. And they're 6'7", and they do it with the aggression, and they do it with the quickness. And they do it with a different motivation, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. over there, um, after you get through with your high school, you have to do two years in the service, in the military. So it's a little different motivation. If a kid doesn't want to go, to, he's, he's got to get out of there. So I had a chance to see some of those guys. And I, and I, I had a chance to, to see um, Bjorn Sievertson, the kid that went to Florida State. He was there, and we had had a chance to take a peek at him. We couldn't get him into school because there's some SAT stuff. That joker goes to Florida State and we're going to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> so my point being, um, if I wanted, let's say, the best O lineman, D lineman, and that's all I was looking for, they exist and they're in different parts of the country. And if my budget, my school's recruiting budget can allow me to go do that, trust and believe I'll do that. But mm -hmm. if a couple guys are equal, and all of a sudden this guy was a shot putter, then he was a hurdler. And he did this, he did basketball. Well, this guy's kind of athletic. So then that means he can do multiple things and he's not just pigeonholed. Um, real quick sidebar, we have a kid. Well, a lot of our kids that came out of Linfield have been out there. They're multi-sport guys. Um, there's a kid right now in Washington State. His name is Travion Brown, number 82. Uh, for us, he played basketball, he played football, he played wide receiver, he played X, he played tight end. Ran a little wildcat, played defensive end, played outside linebacker, inside linebacker. And then um, his kick return, he played basketball, and he ran track, and he threw the shot put. So he ran the quarter. He was six foot, 220 pounds, 6'2", 220. He ran a 48-second quarter. He could scissor kick, high jump, six feet, and he threw the shot put 48 feet. He goes to Washington State, and he, and he left our school with like 30, 33, 34 offers. And national, and he had FAU and FIU, and, you know, he had them all. Um, and he goes, 
Washington State and, and the guy's phenomenal athlete, right? That that enhances his stock, right? You know what I mean? It enhances his stock. So um, it's a plus, it's a bonus. And parents, we have that discussion early. And you get it. You're, you're from a small school. Kids do multiple things. So you got to share your athletes. You know, so to 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 be a, a hoarder, right, and Shrek and Ogre, that wouldn't that wouldn't work out too well for me. To, oh, I need my guys all the time. No, I don't. You know, you got to do something else. Injuries, the guys that are that are single sport specific, they're, they're, they're in, there's an increase in injury, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's in a chance to be hurt more. So you need to, to do, use different body parts and, and move certain ways, and you got to get out. So. My parents have been pretty good. You know, I don't have a lot of pushback, but we have open discussions. And then in the areas of, of places where I do help, and I might help some other kids, we have that discussion. It's a hard discussion. Some people don't like it. They think they got kids got to do 24-7. Um, but at the end of the day, that's your child, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like a built, it's like a built-in uh, combine almost when you play multiple sports. <laughs> you get your well-roundedness out there. Uh, well, Coach Burns, where did you – uh, you played at USC, and then did you immediately get into coaching? What was what was kind of the motivation to to get into coaching, and where did you start? Actually, I played at SC, and I hurt my neck. I, I broke my neck. In layman's terms, I broke my neck. I had a oh. C2, C3 injury, cervical spine, you know, herniated disc in my, my spinal column. And then I had a C7, C, C6, C7 injury, herniated disc there. So I ended up hurting my neck right before I was supposed to start and play um in my campaign and I became a player coach under uh Bobby April coach Bobby April and coach Kenny Zampezi thank you very much for those opportunities and coach Cope and coach Smith was very um may you rest in peace coach Smith was very uh supportive and I began to be a player coach at SC and kind of learned the ropes and was involved with the program and then was still trying to double dabble and play. And I went to Canada and was had a shot with the BC Lions. And then came home and went to Merced, California, and had a shot with the Astros for a little bit um, with Coach Armici and actually played a little college baseball at SC under Coach Mike Gillespie. Oh, really? I played, yeah, I played for Coach Gillespie in the fall. Um, and, uh, you know, when I got hurt, I was informed that I couldn't play baseball anymore. I went out for the team, made the team, was in playing center field and battling for a starting spot at center field. Um, and then I was informed that because of the scholarship uh, restrictions, and I was on medical football, then baseball had to pick me up. And long story short, I couldn't continue unless I paid out of my pocket. So some scouts had been out and watched his practice and inquired about me. And so he set up an opportunity for me to go to Merced with the Astros under skipper George Amici. And um, so I was there for a little bit, and I just didn't understand uh, the nature of minor league baseball, <laughs> playing like a million games in times a day and traveling. I wanted to go to Chavez Museum in Minute Park, man. I was, you know, I was like, hey, next stop. So I didn't quite get it. Um, and then began to coach. So I cut my teeth at SC with that staff under Coach Smith. And then went to Beverly Hills. A good friend of mine, Stephon Pace, kind of got me in. He went to Beverly Hills, and we coached there together. He left and went to Amont, and I followed suit in 95 and came to Amont. And then stayed at Amont for six years. And then um, Florida. You know, I was at Florida for a season and had to stop it. Um, I was at New Mexico under Coach Rocky Long. I did a camp there. 
had a chance to go in and work the camp and, and cut my teeth there. And then went to the Skins uh, for two years. The Sacramento Mountain Lions, you know, Texas Southern University, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco 49ers, and then um, did a couple All-Star games, Texas versus the Nation, Upper Brown Pro Bowl, and then East West Shrine game with Coach Singletary. So um, I guess I'm getting it all in. Yeah. But <laughs> it started at SC. It started at SC. Um, that's where I first started and kind of figured, hey, I, I like this, and I want to do it. The gratification was immediate in seeing guys get better, right? Mm -hmm. It was, you know, see a guy transfer something you taught him, to see him execute it, to see him have success with it, to see him grow. That was good. And I found out I like to teach, you know, so it's kind of very, dope into that. Very cool. I, I mean, uh, Coach Mike Gillespie, legendary uh, baseball uh, figure, um, coached a long time, national championships at SC and, um, you know, recently passed away. Uh, I, I've worked a few of his games. I, I umpired some college baseball. I also umpired in the minor leagues a little bit. So I understand what you mean by those long seasons, man. Uh, you know, and then it's like, there's another game today. Like it's just one thing after another. <laughs> so some stuff. I, I had two buddies that played Charles Smith called him Bubba Smith. He, they played Foggy Garrido, him and Sean Mulligan. Oh, Foggy wow. Garrido, and, um, I remember when I was getting an opportunity, I had asked. Uh, I had asked him. I called him up. And Bubba at the time was with the Reds and Mulligan, Moldog, Sean was with uh, the Padres. He ended up getting called up. And when they had that World Series run, Sean ended up getting called up and they had a, had a shot. Um, I remember talking to him. And they were like, man, you're going to play a lot of baseball. And we had all played baseball in high school. And I did not know that I had some interest in high school. My baseball coach kind of told me after I signed SC, um, yeah, teams are out here and you know, thinking about drafting him, but we, I, you know, I told him you're going to play football, and I had no clue. And I was like, oh, it's okay. man, what? No. So uh, it all worked out. God is good. It all worked out, and I'm where I'm supposed to be. But yeah, I just I didn't get it, Matt. I, Matt, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't quite understand the business, right? Yeah, I didn't get it. It's a tough business to understand unless you uh, get thrown into it, you know. Uh, so anyway. So you mentioned a few coaching stops along the way there. Uh, Bishop Amat is a, you know, a great school in the area. One of uh, in the, in the area I officiated in for years, you know, the, the cream of the crop and, and definitely a, a proud tradition. But so how do you go from a school like Bishop Amat to make the jump? You said to the university of Florida and then a few NFL stops along the way. So what, what, what was that like? I know you had the, the USC experience, but you're coaching at Amat for a while. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, let's go to the University of Florida. I mean, what was that story? It was crazy. Um, years ago, I had kind of made a vow to myself that I, by the time I turned 30, I want to be coaching college ball. Mm. So I just said, hey, I'm going to work. I'm going to be really good. My, my goal was to be considered one of the best position coaches in, you know, in wherever I was at. So that was just the goal internally. Just I'm going to work, master my craft. Um, I started out coaching receivers, running backs, and I had the secondary at Beverly Hills High School. And about the same time Urkel was in school. <laughs> about the same time. Beverly Johnson was there, you know, her daughter. Um, it, it was it was a trip to coach Beverly Hills, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but we're there, and I just wanted to be, you know, really efficient and, and really um, really astute in, 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 in the position, whatever it is I was coaching. Then I get to Ahmad, 
and I'm coaching the wide receivers. I'm on the offensive side of the ball and the coach Tom Salter. Um, so I'm coaching with him and I have the receivers and we're blessed to get to a CIF championship and win it. Um, on that team was loaded. We had Brian Russell in the going to the league, Ralph Brown and going to Nebraska and playing in the league for a long time. Joey Gethrall was on the team. We were loaded. Um, and then we had a nice little run there. And in 2001, I was coaching and we had, I had, some, I had some things going on in the family. Um, I lost my grandfather, patriarch of a family and I lived in Mississippi. So I had some decisions that I had to make um, concerning if I was even going to continue coaching because my grandparents were a little older. Um, I was married and kind of oldest of the great grandkids and had the ability maybe to go back and help and we're contemplating that. Um, I had coached, I played at SC and there was a gentleman by the name of Ricky Hunley, who's now currently at, at Arizona, uh, Arizona All-American draft pick. So he had coached at SC when I was playing. He was a GA, just finished with the Raiders. It was GA and he had went to Memphis, left SC, went to Memphis under Coach Smith and he got a job at Florida. And um, I was kind of in, in transition, you know, and I was approached. He talked long and hard, prayed on it. And ended up taking the job. And prior to that, I, I had a chance to go to New Mexico. Uh, Lenny Rodriguez gave me a call. And, and just, you know, you stay in relevant, right? You just got to stay doing the right things. Um, I think the quality of player that was coming out, people able to watch, just watch how you coach and see the product. Um, I think that had something to do with it. And then I, I went down to Florida and, and interviewed and uh, spoke with Coach Spurrier. And he was very, very matter of fact. Like, hey, you know, what was important was faith, family, and football mm. in that order. You know, and I didn't even talk football with him. I ended up talking football with Coach John Hoke, who was a D coordinator. Coach Burr was like, yeah, yeah, you know, okay. Go, <laughs> go talk to Hokey Poke. We called him Hokey Poke. Go talk to Hokey Poke and uh, talk, uh, talk that football with Hokey Poke. But he cared about character, you know, family and all that. So, um, it was something to think about, right? And I was right 30, getting ready to turn 31, and it just kind of happened. It was a God thing. I mean, January of 2001, I'm defensive coordinator, assistant varsity basketball coach, head track coach, and I'm teaching at Bishop Palmer. By January of 2002, I'm assistant D-line coach and special teams coach, assistant special teams coach at the Washington Redskins. And in between that time, I had had a stop at New Mexico, and then I had spent a season at University of Florida, and we had two shots at a national title. So I can't, um, I can't tell you how it was other than God had ordered the steps, right? And I just had to be obedient. And he heard me years ago, I guess, talking about it. And it was crazy. Right before I turned 31, the opportunity presented itself. And it was a tough decision because I really loved the kids, right? And I, I didn't. I had stayed probably years beyond. I had two couple opportunities to go to SC and coach under Coach Hackett. I'd been offered the opportunity to coach with Coach Hackett and Hugh Jackson and Dennis Thurman and guys, Coach Ogeron back then and all of that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't move on it. Um, I stayed there. And then um, this thing happened in Florida and I was there for two seasons and then went to Texas Southern. So uh, the jump was, you know, I think I had some really good mentors. Yes, it sounds like it. And it sounds like, you know, the coaching profession, especially advancing through the higher levels, uh, it is about the mentors and the connections, because as you mentioned, you, you go to Florida and you had never met Steve Spurrier's the head football coach and, and you had never met him before. It sounds like, but someone spoke for you. And then you, 
it seems like at these higher levels with coaches, they bring in people that they interview and you have to make an impact on them and kind of give them the idea of who you are while also kind of conveying to them that you're a team player and you're buying into their program. So what, what, if you could tell us what it was like for you along the way and just kind of taking us into those, those interview rooms of, of getting these jobs. I mean, it wasn't, you can have all the friends you want, but someone says, Oh yeah, I got this guy, great guy, coach Burns. He'll, he'll come on board and a head coach isn't just like, Oh yeah, that's fine. I mean, he's got to, he's got to be sold on you as well. Right. Correct. You gotta, I mean, there's an interview process. It's tough. And only before with coach Burr, it was he and I, and it was about a good hour and it was deep conversation. And he cared more about, that faith, family, your character, mm. um, football was secondary because it's football, right? I mean, everybody's schemes are different. Philosophies are different. You're understanding. Like, you can get a guy to understand what you need to get done in football. Have him spend some time over here. His football IQ is pretty sharp. and pick it up quicker. I mean, it, there's all, that. that's a whole separate, yeah. separate issue, right, the, the football part. But the biggest thing is loyalty and the ability to be a team player and be coachable. Right. I mean, that's huge. So at every staff, every every place I've interviewed, that it would stick sticks out. When I left um, Florida, Florida and we went to the Skins, we came on board and coach didn't bring everybody. He didn't bring everybody from the staff. Um, and, and that says a lot. You know, everybody has reasons, but loyalty, um, the ability to follow instruction, be coachable and understand what your seat is on the bus. Right. And understand your position and your role. Um, your ego and attitude got to get checked in. Um, people would, would really confuse and, and think Coach Burry is rather cocky. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. Coach Burry is very confident, but he's not a cocky man. He's a, he's a humble guy. Mm-hmm. But he's smart as all get out, right? He's an offensive genius. I mean, the guy knows his stuff and can pick things apart. And you're not going to side talk him because he's earned that right. So with him, it was just understanding hierarchy, right? Like, listen, he, everybody has a way they could do things, but until you're the trigger puller yeah. or the shot caller, um, you got to <laughs> do it this way. And he was, very, he was very clear about that. Like, hey, you know what? When you get your own team, you can, uh, you can do what you want to do. But, but in the meantime, to me, time, you just this how i Right. Uh, oh, the the old ball coach, as they as they say. Uh, what what a guy. Uh, so you guys are at Florida. He makes the jump to the NFL and the, and the Washington Redskins. You go with him. And was that a surreal moment? I mean, a couple of years before you're coaching high school kids, and now all of a sudden you're in the NFL. You're at you're you're coaching grown men now. And so, what is the difference if you could tell us? in making that jump, each jump's significant, right? High school to college, college to the NFL. Right. Considering you were coaching high school kids a couple years prior, and now you're in the NFL, take me through what that was like for you. It was, um, I looked at it like business, right? It was strictly business. I was a DB by trade. That's how I cut my teeth. That's how I got my scholarship and earned my lunch break. I'm a defensive back. I've never rushed a passer. I don't have a clue about taking on a 300 pounder. And now I have- <laughs> convey this to some of the top D linemen in college football and then the goats in, in the pros. So I get there and on our front, it's Bruce Smith, Dan Wilkinson, Daryl Gardner, Santana Dotson, Ronaldo Wynn. Behind them was um, 
Jeremiah Trotter, Jesse Armstead, LeVar Arrington, and Antonio Pierce. Oh. On, the edges, on the edges were Champ Bailey, Fred Smoot, Daryl Green. And on the back end were Ifiani, Oelete, and Daryl, David Terrell, and Sam Shea. So we, we were we were loaded. Oh. And I remember Marvin Lewis, because uh, I, I was blessed to work under Marvin, and he was our coordinator. And him and this guy by the name of George Katavlis, who was our DB coach. And Marvin uh, pulled me aside one day and we're talking. And he said, uh, he pulls me in the office and he goes, don't be a fan. He goes, you can't be a fan. And I was like, what do you mean, Marvin? He's like, you're going to coach Bruce Smith. So what is it that you're going to tell Bruce Smith that he'll listen to? You're 32, he's 42. What can you possibly tell him that he's going to find value in? Mm -hmm. So the reality is, Deshaun, um, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. and Bruce was like six sacks away from the sack record, you know, all-time sack leader record to be the, you know, ultimate sacker in NFL history. He's on the back end, could retire. He could shut it down if, if he breaks a sack record by such and such time. And then there's a gentleman by the name of George Katabalos who had been in the league about 15 years at the time or so and worked under Coach Dungy. And it told me one day, he goes, look, you want to make it? I said, sure. You know, yeah, I don't want to make it. He goes, no attitude, no ego. He goes, check those in at the door and just be a student and learn. So, I mean, I just looked at it from that perspective, right? I just went in and was like, hey, my job is to get Bruce to the quarterback. My job is to pay attention and learn. Um, when I'm asked questions, I got to be able to respond. It has to be sound. I got to be uh, precise. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have leeway to mess up. I'm a youngster at that. So I'm going to get tried, right? I'm going to get tried. The guy's going to look you up and figure out, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're coming from Florida, mm -hmm. you're 32, you're not 6'6", six, six, you're not 320, you know, what, 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 you know, hey, wait a minute, you play DB. And I remember having a, a, a discussion with Bruce before OTAs one day. We're outside, we're just hanging, he's like, hey, you know, I probably forgot more football than you know. <laughs> and I was like, Bruce, you're right. And I said, you know, you've been around the block. I said, but just know this. I said, in 1990, you with the Buffalo Bills. He's like, yep. I said, where'd you guys practice for the Super Bowl? He was with SC. I said, right. I said, so while you were practicing at SC on Howard Jones Field, I'm watching you practice because my big bro was Chris Hale. And Chris Hale is doing one-on-ones versus Andre Reid. So I'm watching Buffalo practice at SC when they were going to play the Cowboys for the Super Bowl. And, and they played in the Rose Bowl, if you remember. So, um, I remember watching. I said, Bruce, I remember watching you, Cornelius Bennett, you know, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly. I remember watching you guys, Daryl Talley. But I was a DB, so I'm watching this one-on-one -on -one stuff. So I get it. Mm -hmm. Just know that my job is to make sure, and I told him, I said, my job is to make sure you keep eating steak, man. And if I, <laughs> if I get the odd juice or the fat off the steak, I'm fine. But I got to keep you eating steak. And so just know I'm going to put in the time and effort and energy. And it was out of respect, right? I didn't come in trying to big league. I didn't come in being timid, I just remember Marvin saying, don't be a fan. Like, you can't be mesmerized by coaching these guys. You got to coach them and, and deal in the real. So I've just kept that. I've just kept that with me the whole entire time. You know, kind of made that the moniker. I just I just can't imagine going into that situation. And you, you talked about the interviews with other coaches and how you have to kind of sell yourself and everything. It seems to me when you get to the NFL, you reach that point. So they understand that. But 
these are grown men who have heard all of the speeches before. They've heard all the different philosophies and things. Uh, now they, as you mentioned, they, they know you're someone that's got to get after them or show, you know, guide them. But I love that stuff. Don't be a fan. Um, all the, all the quotes you just said about, uh, you know, forgetting football and learning, you know, Bruce Smith, Hall of Famer. I mean, just unbelievable talent. Um, what are some memorable games from your experiences coaching in the NFL? Uh, I'm sure everyone who listens to this watches the NFL, so they can probably think back. You already dropped some names on me, Marvin Lewis and uh, uh, LeVar Arrington. I mean, just amazing. Yeah, the whole defense. I mean, yeah, they're loaded. How'd you, how'd you guys give up a yard that year, coach? I mean, come on, what happened? We, we know they, they, the other guys get lunch money too, you know? Yeah. They're, they're pretty good, you know? They're, 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 they're okay. So the Jeff Garcia's of the world and then the Michael Vicks and, and you know, they're, they're okay. You know, uh, the Donovan McNabs and they got some juice to T.O. Yeah, yeah. So, I, t- um, I tell we, my dad that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we, we had a chance. There was like two memorable games, really, um, three. The first one was we went to Osaka and played San Fran, and Mooch was their coach, and it was it was preseason, and we played him in Osaka, and that whole experience, and you know we beat them, but it's preseason, we don't quite quite get it, and we're up there, no gas, no brakes, and we we beat them pretty good, like, and I remember Mooch just kind of looking like, okay, all right, like this is not the get down, this is not how we do it in the league, you know, preseason, you know, I think we hung like thirty or forty or something, it was it was a big number, and um. And just that experience is being on Osaka, you know, being in Japan, coaching the NFL, the Japan Bowl, and, and just taking it all in, right? Watching these guys go and seeing the nuances of how guys make teams and the, the intricacies of it, right? That, that was pretty neat. And then we played, um, we were the last team in 02 to beat New England before they went on that 15 and 0 run. Oh, wow. Then they went on the dynasty, right? Then, we, then the dynasty began to happen. We beat them at home. We're the last team to beat them. So that, I just, you know, always remember that. It's like, wow. And then they went on 15 and 0 run and, and began to, you know, just hang names on the wall. Um, Brady was there and, you know, and Branch and, and Earl Brown, excuse me. And, oh, my goodness. They, they, they had a nice little backfield, a nice little receiving core. Um, I think Junior, yeah, Bug, June Bug was, um, he was there with them. So Sal was uh, with the Patriots. Not so good to see him. And then we played um, Indy. On Sunday night, and then we beat the Colts, and just having a chance just to you know watch Marvin, watch him coach defensively, and watch us execute against Peyton Manning, and just to watch that, and then be a part of that, and, and learn, you know, the intricacies and nuances of a great mind like like Peyton, and get behind the scenes and just kind of pick him apart, you know, and learn from the guys in, above me and ahead of me, and the same with Brady. So those are kind of the memorable. Games. And then lastly, uh, Daryl Green retired in 02, and we finished with um, the Cowboys. That was Campbell's last year, and I think Emmett needed 100 yards to break the record, and we held him to like 50, and then Daryl, you know, retired, and that was pretty neat to win at home, you know, send Daryl out. That was, that, was a, that was a neat time. I've heard Daryl Green was just one of the classiest guys in football. And uh, he, he was definitely someone I really enjoyed watching as a kid. Um, I've always been a defensive guy. I, I, I like offense too, but I love defense. I love scheming and figuring out ways to stop people. Um, and, and if you could, t- I've always wondered this. I mean, I, I kind of know, but I'm sure listeners would be intrigued. You always hear about the time in the office, the time coaches put in 
at the various levels. Uh, you, you hear that NFL coaches are up early, they're to bed late, uh, they don't sleep much. Take us through a typical day um, in, in the NFL as a coach, uh, either maybe during the season or during the off season, or, you know, there is no off season now, but what, what is it like? What were your typical hours during a week? We'll say in preparation, uh, as a coach in the NFL. So up at five 30 in the office by six, get a workout in in the morning, right? Get in and get some workout, get a little breakfast meeting seven, seven fifteen. staff meeting, um, and then we break up and then the defensive meeting and we do work. Team comes in at what, nine? So we team meet and then we break up position meetings, group meetings, they work out, lunch, practice, meet again, um, shower, or excuse me, lunch, shower, or lunch, practice, shower, meet. They go home, we meet again, defensive staff meets again. Then you got to break up. And then and in my case, I was breaking film down. So my job was to get the scouting reports ready, like get the information into the computer. I was QC and assistant line. So I'm I'm chopping up, you know, three games. And and it's in a neighborhood of about 80, 90, you know, 70, 80 plays. And they got to be done by a certain time because we got to run reports and then get the scouting report. Then we got to start installing the game plan. So Monday was a work day. Tuesday, the players were off. We're working all day Tuesday. We have dinner. And we come back and meet again, and that's when you do individual stuff. So you start preparing for your work week, your practice, you know, your drills, what they're doing, what we see, tendencies. Um, I know I would break down the offensive line and kind of the top three sets, you know, what they were doing as far as setting, blocking schemes, tendencies, like little tips. Are their hands twitching? Is their knee turned in? You know, is their back a little flatter? Are they opening their stance up? Then the split, you know, all of that. And that goes into the scouting report. And then um, we, you know, get home. I get home about midnight. You know, midnight, and then I'd unwind, right? So I'm going to bed probably about one. You know, I get home, and I'm not tired. So now I'm sitting down and maybe watching sports center or eating something or, you know, snacking and kind of unwinding and hitting the, hitting the sack like 1.30. You know, two o'clock, and then I'm back up at five three. And I still kind of live like that now. So I've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, I got the body clock just stays stays that way. That's crazy. So all these meetings, all this film, was finally getting on the field at like the practice field. Was that like liberating for you guys instead of being at a computer, at a film room all day, in a meeting room all day? You finally get on the practice field to put some work in with the players. I mean, tell me that that had to be kind of the, the better part of the day or, and, and then of course, leading up to, to game day. I mean, all this time you put in for three hours and if you cut the game in half, cause you're defensive coach, it's an hour and a half. I mean, hour 15, all these hours of work for the short time frame. I mean, getting on the field had to just be, all right, let's, let's play some football. Finally. That was awesome. But really for me, the best part was the preparation, like the work, mm-hmm. Like watching film and just breaking stuff down and seeing this and how can you know it's scheming. Right? You're you're looking at it like, yeah. you know the football mind is working. So I I enjoy even to this day I enjoy like I'll step one film like three in the morning. I pulled a couple all nighters like 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 two days like no sleep and, and you know practice film you know love and, it and, you know I, I I that for me was the adrenaline because you're watching and you're picking stuff up and formations and motions and the why behind stuff and 
start picking up like oh and then big picture and then seeing it practice well, it was pretty neat you know? like like how many times do you watch a specific play like one play can you spend an hour or two on like one play or maybe one short series like what's the time frame there and and not necessarily what you're looking at but how in depth are you breaking down like a single play well it's waves right so my job required that i had to get three games in so i had no more than about an hour to get a game done okay right so at first so to get in the computer it's an hour so it's picking up like its formations and all depending on who your boss is or, or what your program or your, your uh, organizations like the greater the detail, the more efficient you'll be, right? You know, so if I said, if I asked you to take a piece of paper right now, and I said, if you had to draw a picture off of the words that I give you, that's the goal, right? That you got to have, you got to be able to translate these words into a picture. So if right. I said, draw I right or I near right, F motion, you know, F2. You should be able to draw an eye near right and put the back in motion. Starts here, it ends up here. The final call. Every movement is is, is important because it sets something up. So when you're watching it, you're looking for specific things at first. You got to be efficient. Then you double back and you watch it and then you begin to break it down. Like okay, yeah, okay. These are the tackles. Okay, they're running off tackle here from this hash, this point in time. Oh, okay. Look at this split. Oh, oh, okay. All right, okay. <laughs> Oh, so-and-so's in and so-and-so's out. Oh, and then you get some other stuff. You know, um, it's the league. So there's egos. <laughs> and, and and so certain guys don't like blocking. Certain guys are only going to do certain things. I won't name any names, but I know we played Dallas. Um, there was a situation going on on Dallas's team, and there was some disgruntledness going on, and we took advantage of it. You know, I had been paying attention reading news clippings and just paying attention to the wire. And there was some disgruntledness. And certain people didn't like blocking. Certain people wanted to run passes only, run pass routes. So we kind of set some stuff up that would make certain people stay in and other people had to go out and kind of handcuff <laughs> them, you know. And, and it was – but it also helped me. You know what I'm saying, Matthew? So the more yeah. I could do, the more valuable and I think the more credible I became in asking, you know, like, do we have a day? Well, Marvin would say, okay, then we got schemes, we got to get some blitz day. So what have you guys thought of? He did a great job of empowering his coaches to uh, be a part of the, the program. And he would ask, oh, you got some blitzes, put them up. And you get on the board, and you got to draw them up. Yeah. And you draw them up for every personnel or the formation, and you have to have a why to it. And so I'm 32 on the board doing it, he's, and he's grilling them. <laughs> and it had to make sense. We ended up having a chance to use it, so it was awesome. And the same, you know, with the other guys I work with. So um, it is the preparation. I think any coach enjoys that. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. Because you see the fruits of your labor, you know, and when, when you see the result. Um, so what were some of your other stop NFL stops along the way before you eventually got to UTEP? Um, well, I went from the uh, 49, I mean, excuse me, from the Redskins. My next job was at Texas Southern. So I became the defensive coordinator at Tech Center under Coach Steve Wilson. Hmm. And then and the last, then, then I became the interim head coach. So the last couple games of the season that last year before we, we left, I became the interim head coach. And Art Browse was at Baylor at the time. Um, you know, I was <laughs> good old Michael Strahan. So I was the head coach for, for the last two games of the season there. And then I had a chance to go to UTEP. 
um, after Texas Southern. And what's crazy, in 2005, we had played UTEP. So Texas Southern played UTEP. We went up there, and there was a position that was open, and Coach Price and I had briefly talked. We had briefly talked, and I was coordinating, so kind of kept it on the docket. He watched the way I coordinated, and apparently it was, it was impressive enough for him to bring in for an interview. And um, Coach Jose Lewis and I go back, and he had been in New Mexico in a rocky long. We had had a 3-4, you know, we had a three-man front. So I was familiar with it. And so um, Ose had been hired as a DC. My name came up, resume came in, and I had to go in and get to Utah and interview with Coach Price in front of the whole staff. So, I mean, I'm getting hit from the offensive side. Bob Collins, old line coach, he's hitting me with some questions. Receiver coach Jeff Banks was now in Texas. Banksy was asking me some stuff. Host was there. So it was it was a good deal. So that's right. I mean, after Texas Southern, I went to UTEP. And then, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I went from UTEP to the Texas versus the Nation game, this all star game. Uh, coach Snellenberger was the head coach. So I worked under him. And I left and went to the Sacramento Mountain Lions in the United Football League mm. um, under Denny Green. Right? I was there under Denny Green for a season and ran out of money. Let me backtrack. After the skins, I was briefly, I did the minority internship with the 49ers. Before, like right, gotcha. literally before Texas Southern, I went and went to the 49ers with Coach Erickson. And I was there uh, doing linebackers with Coach McMack and and Hannafin gotcha. uh, and those guys. And then was there and had a chance to kind of stay in. And I decided, you know, but I took the job at Texas Southern and coordinate and be a head coach, an assistant head coach. And then I was there and then I left and um, did the Texas versus the nation. Got it. Uh, the Sacramento Mountain Lions, United Football League. And then I went to the Eagles under Andy Reid. I was there and then did the Upper Bounds Pro Bowl, uh, which is the all-star game in Arkansas and Little Rock. Yeah. I was a head coach of the West team. And then I did the East-West Shrine game. I was a D-line coach with Michael Singletary in 2015 for the East-West Shrine. And then was at UTEP. I mean, excuse me, at uh, Linfield. So that was kind of the pro stops, kind of sprinkled in between a little college. Oh, yeah. And- Is Mike Singletary as, uh, as scary at, in person as he, as he looks on television? Uh- when he's on, he's on. <laughs> when he's on, he's on. He's intent. We're, it's a bowl game. You know, it's East-West Shrine. And he's out practice, getting his walk. He's walking. He's getting his exercise in, and the way he ran his practices and the things that he wanted, um, I was a you know I was a fan. You know, I came. I was just honored, and I loved how he handled when his time was at San Francisco. I remember how he handled the tight end, and I just remember he just kept the main thing, the main thing. It was like this is the standard. This is how we we'll operate. This is how it will be. Um, some people didn't like it, no big deal. But he had to let you know. He had I to love let it. People who was in charge, and it wasn't uh, arrogantly, you know, no. it was structured. And that's how he is. So we're still tight to this day. I mean, he's a good man. He's really and, – and, and Can't do yeah. it. Can't do it. Won't do it. I want winners. <laughs> that's right. That's, and that's how he was. He's written like four or five books. I don't know if you know that, but he's written some books, and we talked, and I called him from time to time and talked to him and pick his brain on some stuff, and we stay, we stay in contact. He's a good man. He looks like he could still play, and I'm serious. Like, he, he – <laughs> Oh man, yeah, he's jacked. I mean, his, he's still got the rocking backs on his shoulders. He's jacked. I mean, he's, yeah. Wow. What a what an unbelievable player and, uh, and very inspiring guy as a coach. Uh, well, well, briefly tell me about Andy Reid' experience with one of the best coaches uh, in, in the NFL today. 
What was your experience uh, with Andy Reid and the Philadelphia Eagles like? Well, I was there as a special teams guy. I worked with Coach Bobby April, and I worked with Zeke with the linebackers, and that's when uh, we had just signed on Vince Young. It came through, and then the Matthews, you know, the, one of the Matthews boys, the linebacker out of Oregon, and we had uh, Sate Samuel and, and uh, Rogers Cromartie Smith. And we had a nice, nice, Juan Castillo was there. And Andy was, uh, Coach Reed was very matter of fact. You know, some messy ties. We had some ties. We had some of the same ties. Uh, along with Deuce Staley a lot. Um, Lewis Riddick was there at the time as a scout. And mm. Lewis and I worked at the, at the Niners together. Um, and just watching him operate. Everybody was accountable for their part. Mm. He wasn't um, overbearing. I mean, it was just an understanding. You know, it was just, it was just the standard. Like, like, you're here for a purpose. You're a professional in your own right. When it's time and I ask you for something, it needs to be there. I'm not going to ask you multiple times. Oof. I'm not going to deal with it, right? You're here, either you cherish your position, or there's people that would love to have your position. Mm-hmm. And we can get those people in here, and, and it's not personal because it is a business, right? And so trust, once again, trust and timeliness and punctuality and, and accountability were huge with him. He wasn't he wasn't a big rebel rouser. You know, hey, get it done. Let's not talk about it. Do it. I don't want yeah. to do the times. Let's get it done. Why is it not done? Okay, don't let it happen again. It happens again, it'll probably be your problem. So it's wow. It's not happening. Yeah. yeah. So that dem- that demeanor. Manage- oh, management, a professional. I mean, just wow, it's it's cool to hear that uh, you know, he's exactly who he seems like and and very very cool stuff. One of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh definitely. So let me let me ask you specifically about your time at UTEP and uh, again, specifically about one individual player that happened to be down there in El Paso with you. Um, I I played football in high school with this guy named Landon Goodwill. He was a sophomore. I was a senior. Uh, Actually, I played with him as a junior too, when he was a freshman, incredibly talented guy, just needed help kind of where to line up at times. That was kind of my main job with him. Um, I will say for most of the tackles I got on defense was because he was getting a lot of attention, double teamed maybe at times. So I, I, I'm thankful for him for that. Uh, great times with my good buddy Landon Goodwill in high school. One of the best players Real Hondo Prep has ever seen. But I got to know, now that we have some inside information, what, what was Landon Goodwill like in college, coach? G- give us, you don't have to be nice. Tell, speak no, freely now. He started out as a linebacker for us. Yeah. So he was a linebacker and he could move around, was athletic, you know. And I was like, well, you know, I was, I came from, you know, Florida's and the Texas Southern. So my DNs were like 6'5, you know, <laughs> 70, you know, 265. Yeah. And Landon was none of that um, at all. But what I tell you, oh, oh no, I lost you. Hello. Oh, you're still there. Yeah, we just lost picture. There you go. What I do know is that Landon was crazy athletic, right? Mm-hmm. And, and was a tough, was a tough, was a tough Jesse man. Um, I I rip, I rip him. I get on him, and, and he had to go down in that funk and get after it. Um, so I'd be on him, and when I came in, I think they thought I was crazy because <laughs> I came in and I got every guy in, and they, I, I think they'd been used to doing things a certain way, and they had a good guy by the name of Akaka Malloy, who ended up, I replaced him, and he went to. Uh, either Hawaii or, or an Ivy League school or Duke or something like that. So I replaced him. 
and they had a good relationship with with Coach uh, Kikes. And so um, I came in and we were just all gas, no breaks. We were war dogs. So I'm on them and we're running and we're running and there's minimal water breaks and I'm on them and we're physical. And I, I know at first he thought I was crazy. Like, man, <laughs> Not off his rocker, he was mean, and you know, we're physical. And we I had weighted gloves, and they're doing fast stress drills, and we're running everywhere. And um, I don't, I don't remember having to get on to him a whole bunch because he was just he, he played with the chip, right? He played a little ticked off, and it was kind of like, like, like he played kind of like with real Hondo on his back, like guys would razz him because, like, real Hondo prep, one of that eight man little ball, you know, they they get on him. And he'd be like, hey, I'm the best thing ever came. <laughs> and from my understanding, the only scholarship player to come out at that time, he was the only scholarship guy to come out, I believe. I believe that's, that's true. And um, he came in, we're like, tailback. You weren't on tailback, Landon. You know, we get on him. <laughs> so it was, and, he, and he played, he played turned up. Like, he played with, with this aggression. And it was a, a nice DM for us. I mean, we're talking about sacks, tackles for loss. Because he was so athletic, um, and he understood what we're you know what we're having him do, and and I think he just really embraced being a tough guy, right? You know, like I get on him, I, I push his buttons, and I, I press him out, and I'd question his toughness, and I'd question his heart at times, and you know I'd get on him, but but we end up being really, 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 really tight. Like yeah. that whole that whole crew of guys, they come over to the house, we'd have dinner, you know. They watch my kids play ball in junior league, you know, and they come in with my kids. Um, good group of guys, but I used to bust them out. I used to get on to yeah. them to, to, just to press the buttons. Guys like Landon are, are special because, you know, I, it seems that way throughout all his playing time. And it's good to hear in college that you get after the guy and he doesn't shrivel up. You know, he no. could take, he could take being pushed and motivated and, 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 you know, uh, that is a, that is a tribute to him, to his, 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 his mother and his family. I mean, real Hondo prep experience. Everyone has had a part in that, but ultimately it's, it's Landon's character. Uh, I consider him a, a very good friend and I'm very happy. He's a father now and, and just doing amazing things, but okay. All those nice things we've said about him. Come on. There's gotta be something in college where he, he, he did something foolish or whatever. Come on. There's gotta be. We'd have, uh, we had big brother, little brother uh, type situations in the media. And our, our meetings are pretty unique. You know, <laughs> that if, if you did something wrong, then you're going to pay the price and your, your little brother was going to pay the price. So if you did, the little brother did something, let's say he had 100 push-ups, the big brother had 50 push-ups. Um, if you didn't come prepared for a meeting, you know, we had some things you probably have to do in the meeting. I don't, I don't like guys loafing. Mm. So I like like not running around. So you had to carry around a loaf of bread the whole week. You know, oh, but, I love that. <laughs> so I think Goody, I think I think Goody may have had to carry the loaf maybe for a week or so. Because you have to, you grade it out. You had the most loaves. Um, you'd have to carry that bread, and then the deal was you had to get up off it. So you know you're gonna hustle. So, and it was the same loaf of bread the whole season. So by the time we, <laughs> that bread was raggedy. It was nasty. It was the bag was condensed crumbs it might be mold in there but you, you got the bag and, and everybody knew you were the king loafer you know so um I, I i you know that's funny we had a group of guys i know i had to get him i know i had to get landon um i don't know if you ever got popped really good in practice during a game um 
where he got his bell rung or, or you know, got jacked up. But uh, I know there's a couple of times he might have got, you know, he took a couple shots and I'm like, hey, man, you're like, you know, you're on roller skates, Landon, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to and talk, you know, you got to get to the edge. And, you know, um, it was, it was interesting. Like I said, you know, I, I'm sure I got to him, but I think some of his teammates like trumped him. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, he, you know, you hear about players making the transition from high school to college and yeah, he wasn't going to play, you know, tailback in college. He was going to play uh linebacker. And then you think again, you got things figured out. And then all of a sudden he makes the move to, to defensive line, defensive end. And I don't know, I could be wrong. I don't know if he had put his hand in the ground before, you know, as, as a football player. So. Well, he had, he had, from my understanding, and I think he had a shoulder. I think he had messed his shoulder up in back. So that was plaguing him when I first got there. And his shoulder was just hampering him. And then, so he kind of fell behind in reps and stuff. And But he was athletic enough that we had to get him on the field. And the scheme that we ran was a 3 3 5 so our ends. I think he got up to like 240. Mm. I think Landon got up to about 240 or 250. And so that was plenty big enough for what we did. And his ability to get down and slant gaps and make guys miss and, you know, hold a point and, and is able to, you know, come off the edge. We really – uh just honed in on that and then he worked to make sure his shoulder was right um he understood he assumed the role of a leader and kind of began to bring other guys around you know and, and help them understand the defense a little better because it was it was different they were a 4-3 defense before they we went to a 3-3-5 and that was they had him for two years yes i coached landon for two years and Man. so you know that was uh it was a piece and he, he contributed come in and get after it and then he played on the special teams for us too. So he was a hardworking um, play with the chip. Like I, I, I go to war with him. Like I go in the trenches with him and, and, and call Goody up, you know, and say, Goody, you know, let's go. Yeah. But, he made, you know, we were a small school and, and he made such an impact as a, even as a freshman. And I remember one of the first games he played in, he, uh, he got laid out. And I remember, I mean, he, he, everyone was scared. He got, he, the next day I saw him, he was eating some In-N-Out burger or something. Was like, hey, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, it just kind of hurt when I breathed, uh, when I was breathing. I'm like, well, that's kind of important, Landon. Like, but he just shook it off. And uh, all his classmates were like, they, they just, varsity football scary. They just took out our best athlete of all time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Oh. The temperament of our, of, our, of our meeting room and our position group, like we were just going to be the toughest, you know, mother lovers on the field um, and be be the most in shape. We're going to run everywhere. So it was kind of a deal. Like, we weren't going to be last. And he would kind of hone on him and this guy by the name of Steve Riddick. Two yeah. most understood guys we had up front. And they would they'd get after it. You know, it was neat. You know, the meetings were great. Um, oh, boy. Uh, you know, Landon and I actually coached together, too. We were coaching a youth team. That was like, I don't know, last place or something. But we, yeah, it was fun coaching with him. He'd roll his eyes at me and some of my ideas and things. But, you know, we, we, we thought we were a big deal. We were like, oh, man, I remember one time I had like walkie-talkies out there. And, I, you know, hey, we'll stand apart on the sidelines so we can get different looks. And, like, it was just, oh, man, it was, it was funny. And it, none of it worked. We were, we were bad, but uh, it was fun coaching with him. Oh, man. <laughs> so all these experiences – Coach Burns, and you circle back to high school and coming back. What what brought you to Linfield Christian? I mean, you coached in the NFL, you coached college. I, you know, 
did you, was it ultimately wanting to be a head coach and coaching high school kids? What what brought you back to high school football? I had no desire to be a head coach. Um, my kids. So we finished. I finished Sacramento. Um, I remember coming down to the school. I coached in Sacramento and then the league folded, so I had some time off on the dream contract. I had a chance to go to Dallas uh, with Rob Ryan. I had a chance to go to Cincy with Coach Lewis at the time and Butch Davis at the University of Cincinnati. So some things were happening coming up. And my kids were in middle school and were thinking about high schools. And I was actually doing a, um, I was consulting. And I was talking about the realities of recruiting and how it really works. So no need to pay $1,500 for this or $2,500 for this or this service or that service, how it really works. So I was doing some consulting. I reached out to a friend of mine who was coaching in Vista Marietta at the time, Joey uh, Raymer, and I was going to see if they wanted me to come and consult and talk. He said, no, we're good. I think Coley has it. But Linfield just hired this guy, Coach Silverman. Why don't you talk to him? So I went in initially just to talk about recruiting. His football team. And we began to talk. We knew some of the same people he had worked to talk with, and my good friend Stefan Pace, who got me in. Stuff was at uh, Rancho Bernardo, I think, at the time. And we're talking, and they're trying to get me to come. And I'm like, dang, I just finished in the league. Um, if I go back to high school, it might be the death certificate. You know, side so agent. I was talking to him, and I talked to some of my mentors, and they had said, hey, um, you know, don't, don't chase the money. That was another thing that Marvin, those guys had said to me years ago, do not chase money, right? Mm-hmm. Don't go chase as the kids call it nowadays, you know, and chase the money. Um, go in and let your services speak for themselves. So I really, I mean, I had to pray on it. I, mean, I really had to think about this. So I was approached about coming on and coaching. And I said, well, if I do this, then I have to be able to do some other things um, because the comma was going to be in a different place, right? On that paycheck, the comma was going to be in a different spot. <laughs> to the high school small private school so um, they were really good and um, I remember my kids my oldest son my middle son and my daughter and our family we had taken a tour and they like and reminded us of Houston and El Paso God was important to still talk about God um, there was just a different uh, feeling on the campus and my kids wanted to go and they said they want to go here. And then I was offered a position. And I remember asking my kids, asking my sons, I said, you know, if I take the job here, then, you know, I'm a coach. And that means you have to play for dad. And, you know, they had seen dad coach. They had seen dad run guys. <laughs> they had seen dad run landing at, at 530 in the morning, you know, for class or something. Um, they had seen dad cut guys and offer scholarships, but they never played for dad. And so um, I really, really thought about it. And it decided to believe that God, you know, wanted me here. Um, opportunities that came up, but I'm not taking them. And then my daughter said she wanted to graduate. She was the last, she said she wanted to graduate from here. And, you know, I'm here. And my boys, they came and played. All of them have graduated from the school. My oldest played here, went on to University of Arizona and just finished. And he's in the draft now. He's, he's eligible. He's draft eligible and has a combine invite. My little one's a show on. And, my daughter just graduated in 20. So, you know, that, that's been it. Um, and I just thought, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I want to treat it like a college program. 
you know, I'm not, I don't look at it as high school football. We were, it's a college prep high school academically. So we need to be college prep football wise. And so that's how we're going to operate. We run it like it's a college program, you know, or, or a pro program. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, you know, earlier about, you know, when you're the guy, when you are the, the top of the food chain, when you become that head coach, uh, you look at things a little differently. So what ultimately you, you started there is just kind of helping out as an assistant, right? What you said. And then you were given the keys, the keys to the kingdom, right? So you didn't want to be a head coach, but you just said, you know what, why not? Let's do it. Yeah. Well, our principal, Ms. Wilson was great. And then there was, we had a head of school by the name of Drake Charles. He passed away. And so they approached me one day and talked to me about it. And I was like, wow, ooh. you know, <laughs> you're asking me to commit four or five. Like, like, if I say yes to this, it's not like one and done, two and done, and I'm, I'm out to the next opportunity or job. I'm constantly shopping the resume to try to get back into college or pros. Um, and it's funny you say keys of the kingdom because that's kind of a term I always use. You know, you get keys of the kingdom, so you got to understand what the kingdom looks like in the parameters, right? And how to move and function within the kingdom. So what I did see in Linfield was it was a, a gold mine, like really underdeveloped and just has a chance to be really great in its own sense and its own right and unique. And so the challenge was, and, and I think the, the uh, opportunity of building something and creating something and letting that come to fruition I think that was the, the driving force, right? That's kind of what has me, like wanting to see something be pretty unique and pretty special. Guys being able to go to college, uh, being able to win league championships or, or staff championships, and most importantly, put the right type of people back in the community and society. So that's really been the piece that's driven me, like, hey, you know, we've got a chance to build something, and why not Linfield? Like, you know, we have a little deal, hashtag why Linfield, you know, why can't we be considered one of the better programs, teams in the area or in the southern section? And, and let's go be great. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's go. Well, as a, as a, and you say small school, you know, it, because California schools can be so big, but you know, it's a small private school and uh, my background at Rio Hondo prep is a very small private school with a great football tradition, you know, Linfield and Rio have played each other few times over the years Linfield you know won that game uh CIF title in uh, 09 I think it was uh, give or take uh, you know the junior high programs played each other there's a little tradition there so I would like to see Linfield and Rio Hondo prep maybe get a uh get a game or two if I don't know if they meet in the postseason because of divisions but I think that's a game that needs to happen maybe a couple times a home and home series if you will yeah well I know that we, we were close to playing well shoot a few years back, you guys were in the division with us, and now we see everything has things going. You know, you jump up division, jump down division, whatever. But I know that was a, 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 a um, that was just a staple in the middle school program. I know my sons played Rio Hondo Prep, you know, every year in middle school, and that was kind of a beast. And I think that we continue to grow, or whatever. I think we moved divisions, and you guys uh, stayed in whatever division was. So we don't get a chance to see each other. Um, we wouldn't get a chance to see you guys. And I think there was a possibility that at one point, a few years back, I think in 17, we're in the same division. Mm -hmm. And had won one more, something like that, or we won one. We might have saw you guys down the road. You know, we, you know, we talked about it. And, 
you know, our men, you know, we, we, we put the feelers out and we get out there and get after it. Um, always have respect for the program. From what I've known, I've never coached against or played against you guys, but just knowing that Rio Hondo, my understanding was like the team to beat back then. Like the, you guys had it going in 09 and kind of had it, had it rocking. And so, um, it's always interesting, you know, good, good, honest, clean rivalries, right? You know, oh, that's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. I mean, I, we would love to see that, that, uh, carry over and then uh mark carson the head football coach at, at rio hondo prep i think you may have met him he said at a coaching clinic or a cif meeting at some point yeah. um we got to get you two guys connected and and make this game happen uh, probably not this year of course but maybe in the years to come mm, definitely definitely we're, we're game for it we love it love it <laughs> two great programs well coach burns you uh, you won the 2018 cif championship uh, at linfield division 12 uh, big congratulations uh, to you there. Um, that's a, a big, anytime you're the last team, you win the last game of the season, right? You're the last team standing. I don't care what level it is. That that's, that's truly special. That's always the bar that you're going for. Um, was that the uh, Linfield had won before, had they, or was that one of the first titles they'd won? No, uh, no, they won in, in 2009. Oh, that, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hello. One in 09. We went in 15 and lost to Riverside Notre Dame in 15. And then we came back in 18 and won it. And then in 19, we're in the semi. We lost to Muir in the semis. We went back to back, back. We lost by five to Muir. Um, so there's been three trips and two two championships for the school. Yeah. And so 15, we went and lost. 18, we went and won. Um, that 18 team was special. They ended up finishing number one in the state in scoring. Um, all divisions and and the number four in the history of football in the country and scoring, I think, and number 12 in the history of football all time and scoring in the number two in the division five in the history of football and scoring. They, they did some really good things and had some guys go on and, and um, compete and, you know, have some college guys playing right now. So uh, Ben Coleman is at Cal, mm. playing Brian at Cal. Um, he left out of there uh, with about 37 offers. I mean, he had Florida and, you know, uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska. I mean, he, he did a really good job. Big old fella. And then Travion uh, is at Washington State and Brad Whitworth's at UCLA. And we had a host of guys go to Dort and Doan, um, St. John's, you know, so kind of all the gamut, right? Yeah. And that's continue living the dream, right? Continue playing and, and playing the sport. And that was kind of the deal. Well, well, that area down there too, the Murrieta, Temecula, uh, Corona, that, that area down there is got some great football programs and so much talent in the area. I mean, what Corona Centennial has done over the years, you talked about Vista Murrieta, great program in itself. I mean, uh, a lot of good uh, football down there. And so it's good to hear that, uh, you know, a small private school is, is doing well uh, also. So kind of what I'd like to do here kind of towards the end is, is, run down a few topics that we had kind of discussed or emailed over and they can be short answers. They can be long answers, but we'll try to hit a couple of them if we can, if you're good with that. How's that sound? No worries. Let's go. Okay. Uh, let's just randomness football. Uh, we're just going to hit it, hit them all. Uh, what do you, what do you look for most in, in, in players? Uh, coachability. Coachability. Just being able to be coachable. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, well, and in today's age, are you finding that harder and harder? <laughs> the kids have changed? Well, no, that's a great question. 
the kids haven't changed because this is the first time they're ever being kids, right? Mm-hmm. I know people would say, oh man, the kids change. The kids aren't like they used to be. You're right, because this is the first time they were born. The parenting, the guidance, the direction has changed. Amen. That's what's changed. It's not the kid, because it's the first time he's going to be 15, the only time he's going to be 15. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years ago right it's the parents it's the guidance it's the direction right it's the camps have changed yeah i think Dion sanders had a great speech about that 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 exact thing hey don't, it's not about the kid this is parents and upbringing and i said man it was it blew me away um let's see here uh, okay so on the same in the same regard what do you look for or what do you expect from your fellow coaches, now that you're a head coach, and even if before you're head coach, what do you expect from your coaches? We've um, we've killed the word in our program. We don't use the word expectation; we use mm-hmm. standard, right? So, because it's it's unfair for me to expect you to be as enthralled and as turned up and as hyped up and as, in, as intently committed to the program like I am. I'm the head coach, mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, the stuff falls on me. If, especially at this level where guys do other things, right? Other than coach, like they have jobs. Now I'm blessed because my staff is pretty, we're pretty good. Right? Like it's, as far as availability to coach. I mean, I have guys that are ex-NFL guys and ex-NFL scouts. So their, their income's good. So it allows them to give a lot of time to this, this program, but that's not atypical of high school program, right? So what I had to look at and, and, and say was that I'm not going to say expectation. Because I can't expect you to love it like I love it, Matthew, right? You know what I mean, Matt? Can I call you Matt? Yeah, that? yeah, absolutely. I can't expect you to be like I am about this. It's like you can't expect me to be like you are about your podcast. But the standard of being here at Linfield, like here's the standard. If you want to be a part of this program, these things are in place. Well, here's the standard to be here and coach the position, be a coach here. This is the standard. So meet the standard. It's not expectation. This is the standard. If you don't meet the standard, that's probably not a good fit. I love you know? it. I love it. And and kind of tied into that, what would you say is kind of the backbone or the or kind of the the foundation of your program and your coaching style? If you had to sum it up, um, we want to be we want to be we want to keep it real. We want to keep you know be honest and open, right? Want to want to be uh, truthful. We want to be accountable and responsible for actions, right? That, that's, that's at the end of the day, uh, we sum it up. We say this all the time, keep the main thing, the main thing. Mm. So that's, that's what we're doing. We just want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And it's about building something that, that's pleasable, A, to God. You know, and that's really important to me. And, and, and I'm able to say that and do that being at Linfield Christian High School. So servicing, you know, God and, and, and using the talents that we've been given to the best of our ability is, is first and foremost. And then be accountable and responsible for self. You know, um, that's who we're going to be. We're going to be tough. We're going to be able to run. And we're going to be disciplined. Everything yeah. else care of itself, right? We, we, we don't want to be, I don't want dumb penalties. I don't want to get outran. Um, strength is all, and, and it's all relative, right? I don't need a guy that bitches 500 pounds, but he can't move, mm. you know, for me. Gotcha. Um, but pound for pound, you got to be strong, strong as you can possibly be. If you're 130, then be as strong as you can be for 130. Yeah. I don't mention 300 pounds. It's, 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 it doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> you're going to be able to run. You gotta be 
this is a this is kind of a, a sidestep here, but uh, I'm someone who refereed, officiated a lot of high school football. What is your relationship uh, with officials? You know, they are human; they do make mistakes. And how do you, as a as a God fearing man, how do you uh, criticize correctly, or how do you how do you hold yourself to a certain standard? As you mentioned, you know where it's no no football coach has ever not yelled at an official right and no official it's just part of the part of the game so what is your what is your relationship with officials uh in your coaching days well uh we're, we're gonna get respect right i'm gonna give respect so it's it's yes sir no sir what where, how can we appear i understand the rules i get it stuff i just want to be fair yeah what it look like and i think that early on when i came in i you know you know officials do their research and they do their background and you kind of get a, a precursor to the coaches you're going to be dealing with during the game. And I don't know how it, you know extensive you get in doing the research. But I know early on, um, I remember having a couple of conversations with guys, like, you know, this is a college, this is a pros. I'm like, hey, wait, whoa, I, I'm not, I know the rules. <laughs> but, but I also know that, hey, I'm asking certain specific questions because, you know, the crackback rule, um, the defenseless hitter rule. I mean, you know, there's, there's certain things that it's all in perspective of the official. And so we'll ask, so I'll never, uh, if I told you that I've never yelled at an official, that's a lie. Um, but I just, I just want to be fair. Like, like let's, 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 let's keep it above board, right? Yeah. Let, let's be fair. And so I struggle at times when it doesn't like, I struggle at times where I know guys are going to miss stuff. And if you miss something, hey, coach, you know, I missed it. Uh, you know, you're right. I saw it. I missed. Okay. I can deal with that. But then, the, no, that, that wasn't the case. And then, you know, you send the clips in right after, you know what I mean? After the game, you got to send the clips in and to hear back and be like, yeah, that was a penalty. That That is probably what fires me up and gets me to like, Hey, whoa, or <laughs> transfer of, of authority. And like, if, if there's a big league going on, like, like, look, we're all out here. Yeah. Um, it's high school football. Jobs aren't at stake like that. This is not college. It's not the pros. So let's understand how we all fit in the puzzle. And, you know, it's for the kids. Keep the kids safe. Keep the kids healthy. Don't make the show about you. The show's not about the head coach. The game's not about I don't need to be the spectacle and carrying on and acting an idiot on the field. Yeah. And, you know, let's not have a whole bunch of unnecessary interactions as officials and coaches because you know you're, you're popping off, or I'm popping off, and and now it's a it's a it's an ego thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Let's no, just, because referees, you know, you, you don't want that from coaches either. You don't want the, the ego thing either. So like you just how you started the conversation here, respect, professionalism, that ultimately. Now you talk about standards of your program and expectations. I think I, I'll say it. I mean there's a lot of different types of officials out there. And unfortunately guys don't have the same standards or expectation. You know, they don't have that. And it's, it's such a tough job and there's a shortage of officials in this and that it's sometimes, uh, Hey, this is who you got on Friday night. <laughs> and, and I understand that. And I just think it's just because you're not, officiating a d1 friday night five thousand dollar fan i mean five thousand fan game right ten thousand fan game doesn't mean you don't officiate the same way i agree 100 i i hate when guys uh carry themselves. 
and the kids aren't that good and you open your eyes like wait a minute whoa, whoa these guys are kind of good yeah wait a minute whoa like we you know we've we've been blessed to have some teams where guys have a chance to go to the nfl off of the teams that we've had and they were all you know they're they're all conference and all pac 12 and all yeah. division players and leaders in the state and so it would it gets me a little like hey you know it's division you know i don't care about the division i'm coaching just as hard yeah in my mind as a head coach i'm just as important as a d1 head coach i should get the same absolutely oh absolutely whether whether it's a bishop Amat game or a linfield christian or real hondo prep game uh the game demands effort and uh from 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 all three teams out there so i couldn't agree more um right a clip is a clip a hold is a hold mm-hmm. it's away from the ball okay we get those rules but when it's at the point or you know the sweep hits to the edge a little too fast <laughs> you know the end didn't get hooked that quick this high school man somebody got held at the point yeah let's, let's, uh, you know come on what does it matter that, oh you know, yeah that's that's bad oh yeah oh well let me ask you this about about kids uh why why do if you why do kids need football there's this, I feel like there's this attack on football these days, especially at the youth and high school levels. Why is it that kids need football? Why is football important? It's building, it's character building. Mm-hmm. It's development. It's intestinal fortitude. It's, it's understanding teamwork. It's understanding conflict resolution. It's understanding um, problem solving. It's understanding, you know, intestinal fortitude and, and mental makeup, right? You know, you have to deal with success and lack of success. I'm not going to say failure because failures happens when you stop trying. So you never fail unless you stop trying. But you got to deal with adversity. And in this day and age, that's like a, a, a fleeting thought. Like that's a fleeting concept. You know, uh, we don't want to make it too hard because Johnny may quit or he's not having fun. It's not about fun. It's about completion of the task. Mm-hmm. Fun happens after you've done what you're supposed to do. I never had fun getting my head kicked in, right? You know, I've never had fun giving up a bunch of points and taking L. That's not fun. What's fun is going out executing and tackling and running and and and, and doing the things you're supposed to do. And then that normally equivalates, right? Like when I do my job, it normally equivalates to fun. So learning how to operate, learning how to receive instruction. Right, learning how to do something that you don't necessarily agree with because you don't understand it, and learn how to you know humble yourself and be like, you know what, I don't know everything, and I know that I'm like the park league hero, and they say I'm going to go pro at the age of seven, and you know I'll, you know I, I'm the best thing that ever came out, and I threw for thirteen thousand yards in four games, and nobody can stop me, and, and I'm on the publication, and I got seventeen stars by my name, and. And they're telling me that I'm, I'm the best. <laughs> Until you meet the kid that doesn't have the same resources from, you know, Bell Glades, Florida, that chases rabbits, you know, and, and has to go chase rabbits and work and then go to practice after, get up in the morning. Or the kid from Pago Pago, Samoa, that has to get up and do stuff before he goes to class, you know. You meet that guy um, who's built a little different, has a little different makeup. We crumble, Right. And so all it's going to do is build bad habits. So I think kids need it just to build so much internally, right? Just to build. I think it teaches so much more than any other sport out there. And uh, I don't know what so many kids uh, would, would have done without football. I know I know, I wouldn't uh, have probably been able to function in life without the lessons learned in football. Um, 
last two things. First of all, future goals, long-term plans. I mean, you're at where you're at now. Do you kind of just look at it one day at a time, uh, but keeping an outlook that, you know, if doors open, maybe, maybe I'll go that direction. What are your thoughts on your future? Um, I, I'm going to keep it, you know, keep it real simple. Like, like my guy said, I'll never chase the money. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, every job that I've ever obtained, I didn't go after. Absolutely. Right? I was, I was spoken to and, and they inquired about me. I, I, the ones that I did try to go get, they didn't come. <laughs> you know, the ones I was like, oh, send a resume, go do this back in the day. It wasn't happening. All the jobs I've ever gotten, it's been God's movement, God's time. So I'm not a dummy. You know, let me let me just continue to do. Let me master my craft and do what I'm supposed to do while I'm at. Um, Ricky Hunley would tell me, um, be where you are when you're there, while you're there for as long as you're there, right? So be present in, in all of the moments. You can't have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. So I'm doing this job to set up the next job. Don't be all present in the current job. And being all present in the current job allows you to get other jobs if that's what you're looking for. They'll come. Opportunities come all the time. They, they, they come all the time. At the next level, at the level after that, they come all the time. It's just a matter of me deciding and saying, yeah, you're nay. And right now, I don't feel that God is saying that I need to do that. You know, there's work still to be done here at Linfield. And, you know, and then it will move when it's time to move. And it will, I will know. Absolutely. Well, well said. Yeah, we make our plans, but, uh, you know, God laughs at our plans sometimes and says, no, this is how it's going to be. Uh, lastly, if you could sum up coaching, what it has meant to you, why it is such a passion for you, why, what keeps you going every day? You've coached at every level. Why is coaching such a big part of your life it's post play it's post post football it's the individuals that come out of this it is knowing how the impact that my coaches had on me from junior tackle to high school to college to the you know watching the pro guys watching my my, my co-workers and seeing the results of that right i mean i'm a competitor by nature i'm an ultra competitor i love competing um I'm an aggressive guy, you know, so it, it allows me to get some stuff out of my neck and out of my system. But ultimately, it's it's post-ball. It's the product that comes after the accolades and all that stuff. Accolades are for the kids, right? They're for the players. But I, I, I'm not – Matt, you, Matt you, you're, you're all CIF. That doesn't make Deshaun Burns all CIF. Matt was all CIF. My all CIF days came back in 1987, right? But I'm – I get nothing from that. So it's watching you go in, and I, I call it build a dream, right? So you're building it. You have a dream, you're building it. Watch it come to fruition. That is the biggest payout. You know, whether it is going from never thinking of start to starting on a high school team to not being able to catch a ball and then end up catching a ball. Um, my oldest son, you know, when he was young, he talked about he wanted to play college ball and he wanted to play in the NFL. And now watching him train and get ready for the combine and have a draft grade on him, um, that's the biggest piece, <laughs> right? It's like, like wow, it, it's happening. And so you stay into that because you want to see these people um, get after it. 
right? And you want to see how it comes to fruition. And uh, it, it's the Landons, right? It, it's this right here. Absolutely. It's Landon being a dad, watching him when he got married, um, his brother, right, Tim, uh, meeting him, his kids, his coaching, just following him after football, and him reaching out and saying, hey, coach, you know, thought about you. That That is that's the driving force, right? Making a difference, right? Making an impact. So it's really not about the rings and stuff. That comes when, yeah, my, my, my saying is this, if I do what I have to do, I'll be able to do what I want. Oh yeah. Very well said. And I think, you know, the relationships and the lessons learned, that's all those things that, that really uh, matter. Not, not the technique on a, on a third and two. I mean, you talked to Landon, he didn't tell me anything about the individual plays or or play calling or anything he just said unbelievable guy someone i had the privilege to play for and uh that as you said is what it's all about coach burns it has been an absolute pleasure uh thank you so much for these stories the lessons like i said i'm ready to put a helmet on myself and go out there and, and play for you whatever you need uh but uh I, I wish you nothing but the best in the upcoming season um you guys ha are going to have a football season uh in a couple weeks or no we're scheduled to play March 26th. Okay. So we're scheduled to get off March 26th against uh, Western Christian High School, and then we'll do Ontario Christian, Aquinas, and Arrowhead. So ending April, April 9th, yeah, 14th, something like that. So we're scheduled to get four games in. Okay. You know, God willing, so prepare that way. Good to hear. I'm glad to hear teams are playing some football. That's better than no football. So coach Burns, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. I uh, can't wait to get this episode out in uh, probably a couple weeks or so. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Pleasure meeting you. And thank you for reaching out. Thank you so much, Coach Burns, for joining us on the program. That was a lot of fun. I'll talk football with anybody, anytime, anywhere. Uh, always a good time chatting with you. It was a pleasure to meet you, and I wish you nothing but the best. I hope that your Linfield Christian Lions have a good season, and I'm looking forward to a matchup down the road. Maybe we can get that scheduled with Rio Hondo Prep and Linfield Christian. A rematch of the championship game from, I think it was 09. I could be wrong there. But anyway, uh, that would be a lot of fun. And yes, uh, all the best and good luck on your season, Coach, to you and your program. Just a great pleasure talking with you and going down memory lane with all of the football stories. I can't get enough of that stuff. So thanks again. Guys, that will wrap up today's long show, the Get Home Safe podcast. I know it's been a long one, but thank you for sticking it out. Uh, I had to ramble there at the beginning to get a few things off my chest, make my picks for the NCAA tournament, and also uh, talk a little bit about my passion for sports. So if you've made it this far, thanks for sticking it out. If you broke it up into a couple parts throughout the day, I totally get that. Uh, I do that with some of the podcasts I listen to when they're almost two hours. Anyway, uh, appreciate Coach Burns coming on the program. Uh, Monday, you'll have a recap of the game between Rihondo Prep and Pasadena Poly. We should have Mark Carson back on or potentially just put together some interviews from the game itself that you will hear. But be sure to tune in later today, Friday, 3 o'clock. Uh, rhprep.org is where you can find a link. There's also some additional links that I will post on my social media platform so that you can uh, find those links easy to access the game as it will be 
uh, played live at three o'clock Pacific time. Be sure to tune in. And if you can, uh, donate, there's a, there should be a donate button there. Uh, donate whatever you can to, to these two great uh, programs to really help uh, get the funds going to make this game happen. Uh, the game's going to be played either way, but um, they can use all the support they, they can, and, and it will be nice to know that people are uh, tuning in from afar and uh, supporting two great football programs. Guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. Be sure to send us an email if you have some content suggestions or maybe some questions for me or my uh, good friend Bill Barnes who comes on the show every Wednesday. Get those questions and uh, communication to us by Sunday evening probably so we can start piecing together our next week of shows. Greatly appreciate your listenership. If you haven't already, give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe to the podcast so you can continue to be updated uh, with new information as it comes out, as we post content. Uh, just a very, very great thing to have more and more people involved and in supporting the podcast. So uh, if you should feel so, should so feel inclined, uh, please do so and uh, help us spread the word. Retweet our episodes, share them. Uh, if, if you find... If you're hearing what you like here, be sure to uh, to help spread the word. We greatly appreciate it. Okay, I'm done for the day. Uh, it's time to get over to the Rose Bowl for the big football game. And I know some of you will probably listen to this after the game is played, but I'm very much excited for Real Hondo Prep and Pasadena Poly. Should be a lot of fun at the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. Guys, be safe this weekend. I know some of you are might be celebrating St. Patrick's Day uh, the entire weekend. Be safe. Uh, always important and, and uh, you know, to act accordingly. Things are still, uh, you know, a little unsafe at times in some places out there. So uh, let's use our best judgment out there and everything we're doing and, and uh, definitely be responsible as uh, we should do at all times, not just during the crazy year that is 2021 already. Anyway, guys, thanks again, Coach Burns. Thank you for listening. And guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or round in third base, get home safe.